So I want you to open your Bible to the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah. I uh, don't get uh, uh, too upset, but I'm going to go through all four chapters today. But I'm going to do it in a whirlwind, all right? I want you to look at chapter number three and verse number five. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. For word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell? If God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger, that we perish not. Verse number 10 is a good part. That's when his presence filled the place. Look, and God saw their works that they turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them and did it not. But... It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray that you will help us today. Um, We need more than I can even give to our people today, and certainly I'm not, uh, I don't have anything that you don't give us. So I'm asking you, God, today that you will help me to preach with Holy Ghost power, and that, God, that there will be a move of God in this place to which we have not seen or looked on in a while. God, we love you, and um, we need you like Brother Shane has already prayed, but I don't mean we just need you to come and comfort us. God, come and convince us of what you want out of our life and in our church. For it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. I'm going to preach today on this subject, a whale of a story. And as I look at this passage, I'm looking at it in a different light than I had looked at it. I've heard it preached about every way it can be preached, and so probably over the years, some of these things has flowed in my head, but I just started to sit down. I have a whole series on Jonah that I preached here in this church, and I didn't use any of that at all. I just, God just, I just started putting some thoughts down, and, and next thing I know, I'm, I'm probably not got, got more than you can handle right now. But when we start talking here in the Bible, and you say, well, the Bible says in Jonah that it wasn't a whale. It was a great fish that swallowed Jonah. Well, it was a great fish, but in the New Testament, Jesus said it was a whale. So I'll just accept the fact that it was a whale, and a whale is a whale of a fish. Amen? It really is. And so 
um, I, I, that Pacific Life Insurance Company, you know, where that, that those whales are coming up and flopping up and down, and, and they're so huge. And those of you who go on your Alaskan cruises, you may get sight of some of them. And uh, the largest known whale today is the blue whale. 98 foot long, 173 tons at its max. It if you scaled it to man's size, if you put, took 20 inches for a whale, a man would be one and three-quarter inches. It is a huge, huge animal. He, his tongue, now get this, his tongue weighs three tons. Now, I think we can come close to that here sometimes. Yeah, I mean, we don't miss it far. In fact, it might be a good thing today if some folks come from all over this place and laid their tongue on this altar and got it cleansed of God. But it's three tons. Imagine that. And weighs, listen, what a, you ladies, listen to me. At birth, they weigh 6,000 pounds. How'd you like to birth one of them boys? Now, 6,000 pounds when they're born. Now, if we had one this size now. Imagine he'd be prepared. But this one was not one we see on Pacific Life Insurance ads or commercials. This was a specially prepared fish for Jonah. I do not know where he had been there before or where God just created him and stuck him down there to get Jonah's work done. We, we're not told about the fish because it's not about the fish. You see, folks, God's got to get something done in, in Jonah before he ever gets anything done in Nineveh. And I'm going to tell you something. God's got to get something done at Hillcrest Baptist Church before he's going to do anything in Lebanon. I believe today we need some work in our life. And so God for Jonah had him a specially prepared fish for Jonah. You say, well, what do you what reckon what that means? I don't know. I wasn't in there with him. He could have had a 60-inch TV and surround sound. He could have had, you know, four bedrooms, two baths. I don't know what he had in there, but I know it wasn't good. It wasn't, God could have made one like that, but he didn't make this one like that. He made this one as judgment for Jonah, as chastisement on Jonah. He prepared this fish. And I, isn't it amazing that the fish is more obedient than Jonah is? It's, so people today does not doubt the fact that a whale could swallow a man, all of our uh, oceanologists and all of those people who study those things, uh, none of them doubt the fact that a whale could swallow a man, but they say it is impossible for a whale to swallow a man and a man live. But the Bible said it happened. And it has happened since then. They found 
it was a, 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 a whaler, and they were out in their little boat, and, and, and it, got to, it got to rocking, and, and, and this whale was uh, uh, giving them all kinds of trouble, and one of those guys fell overboard, and whales eat by, like, gulping down about a 1,000 gallons of stuff. You know, it just goes down, and everything in there comes. That's why they come up to the top. They catch the, a, a whole group of fishes, and they get every one of them, swallow them all down into their belly. And so they say it is impossible for a man to live in the belly of the fish. But those sailors and those fishermen saw that man swallowed by that whale. And somehow they finally captured that whale and got him in and cut him open and got that man out alive. Now, he had bleached skin. You're talking about a white person. He's a white person. Yes, sir. He was really white. You know, we're not really white. He, was re- he, look, he looked like your sheets, your bed sheets, and maybe like uh, some yellow mixed in with it. And his hair was gone, and his eyelashes was gone, and, 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 and he, he was just a, a kind of an ugly specimen of a human being, but yet he survived that. I'm not so sure that Jonah didn't look the same way because that would get everybody's attention is the looks and the appearance of Jonah after he had come out of that hard, wretched smell and, and that bleached skin and, and hair nowhere, and, and, and he looked so, he, he, he looked so uh, maybe thin and skinny, he had probably lost 45 pounds, and, and so uh, he, he got people's attention. And so you know what happened as he come out of that whale. But I got to, I got to thank you. What would you do if you was on a carnival cruise? And God come to you and said, there's a storm burning. It's getting rough, man. And I, I, I mean, you know, you've been on one of the cruises, how you, you know, you just feel like you're moving all the time. And, and uh, after you eat supper, you have to go and you put one foot on the floor and another in the bed. You know how that is? To keep from throwing up. And this big old storm is coming. God come to you and said, you're the reason there's a storm. And you go to the captain and say, I'm the problem here. You get a helicopter. You look out there. They done throwed everybody's luggage overboard. They, 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 all the food is floating. All, all those, all those uh, tropical drinks is out there bobbling up in the, in, the, in the ocean. And he said, I'm the reason. You better send a helicopter. You better send something to get me or this ship will go down. What would you do? He said, throw me out of here. I'm the problem. Woo! What would you do? I'd rather not be in that predicament. But it's possible to be in that predicament. God just may not do it the same way. So hear me today as I preach, and I hope will God will bless. First of all, we notice there in verse number five, we see a people who believed now they were crushed and broken and they were contrite and they were uh, the the leaders even gets on their knees the king and and his nobles gets on his king and by executive order he ordered revival he just said everybody in this town everybody in this country is going to bow their knee to god he didn't say to the gods because that's who they worship. Something had happened in their heart. Why? Because verse 5 said they believed God. 
So something had happened in their life. So people believed God because they were broken and they were crushed. Look, how do you say, how do you know that? Because they sat in sackcloth and ashes. That was a sign of mourning. In other words, their sin not only bothered them, the judgment that was coming not only bothered them, it caused them to suffer and it caused them pain and it caused them hurt as they sat there broken before God. And so that's what they were down on their knees doing and they knew the difference in verse number eight between right and wrong. You ever, people come to you, they say, well, I, what about those folks in these other countries that don't know the difference between right and wrong? Folks, I don't care where you go. God put something in you. No, this is right and this is wrong. Now, they might not know everything you know, and they may not know everything about it, but they know some things is right and some things is wrong. And here, this pagan bunch of idolaters who had never, ever had a Jehovah God preacher preach to them, Believed God, look what they said, and bowed before him. And they said, maybe if we do this, look what he, they, you see, they're repenting. This is what they're doing. They're repenting. Uh, that, we, we've used that word a lot, and we're saying repenting, repenting, and repenting. And they said, maybe. They, don't, they didn't know God yet like we know him. Look, who can tell if God will turn and repent? Now, God don't have to repent of sin. Okay, there's, there's two kinds of repentance. When God repents, it just simply means he changes his mind about what he was going to do because you changed your mind about what you're going to do. Got that? Okay, and, and I'm glad he does. Thank God he does. But they say, maybe God here will let us go. And God saw their works. In other words, their lives had been absolutely upturned upside down. And they turned from their evil way. And God repented or he changed what he was going to do with them. Instead of judging them and burning them in fire, God did not do that. He put his grace and mercy upon them. So, Folks, God did change his mind. God does change his mind, but it's a conditional promise when he does. When God said he repented, he means if you repent. God is not going to change what he said about he was going to do to Nineveh unless Nineveh changed what they were doing before God. But listen, we can't even get there until we get through a prophet of God. So Nineveh don't get to hear this wonderful message. Jonah's already got it. He knows what to say. And God's already told him when he gets there, he'll lead him on the words to say. But before we can get there, we got to get through Jonah. And God writes over two chapters just getting Jonah to repent. In other words, turning from what he was doing and to what God told him to do. Now, that's real revival. You see, I believe this. I believe America's gone too far. I believe God's going to judge us. I really do. I, I, you can't kill babies by, by the bushels. Uh, you, you just can't do that. And you can't let uh, men that uh, kiss men in a church it's called the church and, and you can't steal uh, people's money and you can't do all the things that goes on in America today I believe we stepped over a line a few years ago uh, I, I, I believe and maybe about 1992 or something maybe 96 but we stepped over a line 
And we said, God, we don't want you in our life. We don't want you in our land. Get out of our life. So God has promised judgment. I think that has to happen. But let me tell you something. Revival will postpone judgment. Now listen, that means that if you pray like you ought to pray, that God will postpone judgment long enough for us to get that old lost teenager that's sitting that back there in the bedroom smoking a joint. We can get him saved and he can go up with us when he comes. But you, we're going to have to have revival or our churches is going to the dogs. Everywhere. All over this country. I talk to me, and I, I see it, I look it up, I, I, I watch it, and, and, and it's, it's not just trending up and down, it's trending down. So, here's the first thing. Number one, you got to remember before I give you the first thing, God changes his mind every time you change your mind, so that's what repentance, don't ever get that confused. Don't get the fact that God was sitting up there and saying, um, uh, I, you know, I should have did this. I guess I'll have to repent. That, God never has to do that. He's a perfect God. So when he changes his mind, it is on a conditional promise. Okay? Here's the first thing. First of all, I want you to know it's a sinful choice. A sinful choice. You see, chapter number one tells us that Jonah was completely out of God's will. If you'll notice, sometimes one of our words that we use or one of our phrases that we use to bless people is go with God. <laughs> well, Jonah decided he'd go without God. Folks, that's, a, that's, a, that's serious when you decide, I, I'm going to go without God and I'm going to tell the church I prayed about it and I sought God's will about it and I know it's right. Anything that contradicts the Bible is not right. And so when you already have a Bible word on it, you don't need six weeks of counseling to figure it out. It's just there. So chapter 1 says that Jonah was completely out of the will of God. Notice what he didn't do. You don't find one prayer. You don't find one moment of repentance. You don't find nothing about him. See, you remember Moses, when God spoke to Moses and told him that he was fixing to move on and told him what he was going to do, and he comes down off of the mountain, and then, of course they had some problems with the golden calf, but later on in life, he began, later on and just a little bit later, began to speak to Moses in Exodus 33, and Moses began to pray, and the Bible said he hid him in the cleft of the rock, and the glory of God passed by because human eyes cannot see the glory of God as it passes by and he would, put him, he would have been blind the rest of his days and so he hid in the cleft of the rock and the glory of God passed by Moses and Moses fell on his face and said God yes I'll go yes I'll go but if you don't go with me I won't go anywhere Amen. that's the way y'all live your life God, if you won't go there, I'm not going there. God, if you wouldn't move there, I'm not moving there. God, if that's not the church you'd have me go to, I'm flat not going to that church. And if, God, if that's not the preacher you want me to hear, I'm not going to listen to him. But listen, you let God do the doing and not you do the doing. He's completely out of God's will. Secondly, he was accompanied or he accompanied with idolaters. First of all, he was completely out of God's will. 
than he companied with idolaters. Jonah 1, verses 1 through 3 lets us know that obviously when he got on that ship going to Tarshish, everybody would assume that he was kind of in the crowd, in their crowd, in their bunch. Not knowing him, they would, they would assume that. He was comfortable because he went to sleep. He was comfortable with idolaters. He comforted himself with idolaters. Now, folks, when you're comforted around a bunch of idolaters, your heart ought to be aching inside. You see, I, I, I'm just, I like what one man wrote. I, I wrote it down. He says, uh, our worldly type churches whose standards are not nearly as strong as they used to be, they're simply seeking a crowd in which they can feel more comfortable. Somebody say amen. When folks sin, they prefer the world to God's people because the world is certainly not going to give them much rebuke for their sin. Rather, the world will probably do much to encourage their sin. So the sinner will not mind the world's company, but he will not like the company of God's people and especially the company of God's preacher who is a living protest to the unholiness of his sinful ways. And that's why you're seeing churches pop up all over this world. And that's why they're using the, the, the steps and, and, and the precepts that they're using to get them into their churches. Because people feel more comfortable there. You can not believe me. You just try it. Look around. You go and find it. You can find it state after state. Places to where we used to be. We used to be called the buckle of the Bible belt. And now I don't even think we got a belt. We sure don't have a buckle. So he was accompanied by idolaters. He said, what do you do when that happens in church? Well, first of all, most of us just keep rowing harder and harder and working harder and harder and doing more and more and more. And nothing ever comes of it. And nothing ever will until you get in the company of God. And not the company of ungodly. He was completely out of God's will. He comforted himself with idolaters. And thirdly, his concern was apathetic. It was apathetic. See, um, I think we have many kinds of ships that can be messed up by our sin. I think there are fellowships, one ship. Yeah, our, our companionship's another one. Our stewardship's another ship. Our lordship can be messed up when we're going opposite to where God said to go. And as we keep looking, our worship will suffer when in our hearts we do not repent. So God... When you come up to me, you can evaluate the will of God by the world standards if you want to, but I'm going to evaluate the will of God by the word standards. The word standards will give you a right word of God and keep you in the will of God, but the world standards will have you going to Tarshish every time. Just somebody help me out just a little bit. You know, disobedience cost us a bunch. You know it. So let's look. Let me move on quickly now. 
And by the way, there's always a few Jonas in the church to make the ship rock. All those ships I mentioned, there's always a few folks to mess up the worship and the fellowship and the lordship in the church. Everything they can trouble it, rock it, they will. So that's sinful choice. He was apathetic. You say, how do you know that? Because he went to sleep right in the middle of a storm to which skilled, trained, experienced sailors scared the britches off of them. And Jonah's sleeping. Folks, I believe we're in about the same shape. While the world goes to hell, we're sleeping. Well, the girl world goes to hell. We come one time on Sunday or every other Sunday, and whenever we take a notion to come, or when the kids are not playing ball, we're not involved in something else, and we think God's okay with that. What that's called is spiritual sleep, and you need to be woke up. There needs to be an alarm clock stuck right in your ear. Your cell phone needs to be set on now time. Well, let's get it. He was apathetic. Fourthly, this had to do with the chastening of Jonah touching the seedmen as converts. Now, I want you to notice somebody, you know, that people say that God won't do certain things. God won't do this and God won't do that. Number one, most of them that says that don't even know God. So don't pay them any attention. You don't know what God will do except what's in this book. But here's what's in this book, and here's what God does. Those sailors immediately, when they threw Jonah overboard, to which they did not want to do, but they had no other choice. They'd done everything they could. They, all the cargo to which they would have made their money, the supplies that people needed. I mean, listen, everything. And then all the crew and all the cargo. Here it goes if Jonah don't go. So he's thrown overboard, and no doubt they saw him swallowed by a fish and in their heart they said if he was really God's man God don't put up with no mess that's what they saw he's a preacher that's what they saw God God let that fish swallow that preacher because he was he even told them he was running from the will of God he knew he was and so God chasing him. He said, well, I don't believe God's, I just don't believe in spanking my children, and that's obvious. And you'll say, you say the same thing about God, because if you don't discipline your children, you teach them that their God won't discipline them. But you read Hebrews chapter 12, and you'll find out if you're saved, I don't care who you are, all of us, the Bible said, are chastened. Because none of us goes beyond it. But Jonah just kept going and kept going and kept going and kept going. So the chastening had to be pretty tough. Y'all with me? So there was a chastening of Jonah and it touched these men. And no doubt all of these give their heart to Christ. Or at least they begin to get rid of their idols because their idols couldn't do what they'd just seen happen. And they began to worship one God, maybe not knowing too much about him, but sooner or later, God got the gospel to them. And so then this chasing of Jonah, here's what it caused him to do. First of all, it's in chapter number two, you've got to look at it. It's caused him to do deathbed praying. Now, he'd already been chastened by God. The only thing that could happen next was God just let him die in the belly of the whale. That's the sin to death. But notice what he did. He prayed on his deathbed. 
You say, well, oh, God would never let him die. He let his son die. Yeah, he let his son die. But he let him out in three days. He raised up in three days because he was God. Let me tell you something. Somebody's got to die if your sin is to be paid for. Somebody's got to die if you can repent and God will change his mind about judging you or sending you to hell. God is that kind of God. He will spank his kids because he loves them so much. He loves them so much. When my children were little, I whipped them weeping, weeping them. But it didn't stop mom from going. Because I knew someday, and they did, someday they'll challenge you. And you better know that sometimes we challenge God. And we say, I can get by with this, and God won't do anything about it. But not only was it deathbed praying, it was depression praying. Look at verse 7. He was depressed. Well, I'd be depressed too if I was in the belly of a fish. But some of us are in the belly of a fish that don't look like a fish. It's something else. But we know exactly what it is. And that's why we're always so down. That's why we're depressed. He prays from his uh, depression here. And, and, and he says, my soul fainted within me. Ah, then I remembered the Lord. When I was so blue and so dark and everything I could see around me was dark, I then remembered my God. So there's deathbed praying, there's uh, deathbed um, depression praying, and there's determined praying in verse 9 and 10. He, he, he says, God, if, if, if I, I know if you just let me out of here, get me out of here, I will pay my vows. What I told you I'd do. You see, at one point in, in Jonah's life, I, he tells us right here that he made a vow to God that he'd go preach at Nineveh. Well, he not only broke his vow, which God has a severe judgment for, he not only broke his vow, he broke it really good. He went the opposite direction. Tarshish is east and, and, and uh, Nineveh is west. And here they are going opposite directions from God. Now you understand repentance, right? So now, though, he's brought to the place, he remembered his God, and so he has determined praying. He declared, God, if you'll get me out of this pickle, get, uh, well, that's not a good illustration. If you'll get me out of this fish, I will go and preach in Nineveh and perform my vow. Now, he didn't say, he didn't say, I want to do it. He didn't say, I'm liking to do it. He just said, I will pay my vow. And then he said, salvations of the Lord. He said, I'll do what God told me to do. And let God take care of the rest. But he had no idea what God was about to do. <laughs> he had no idea what God was about to do. Let, let me ask you something. Do you think the devil would have put Paul and Silas in Acts 16 in jail if he knew what was about to happen? A revival happened in the jail cell. Listen, I bet the devil wished, oh man, I should have kept them out of there. But he didn't know what God was going to do. You see, our God is omniscient, but the devil's not. Our God's omnipotent, but the devil is not. Our God is omnipresent, but the devil is not. Mm, I like that. If I was sitting out there, I'd already be shouting. All right, here's, a, here's a, first of all, there was a sinful choice. Number two, there was a second chance. You see it in chapter three. Not everybody gets a second chance. 
He not only got a second chance, later on he gets a third chance. You ought to thank God that God will speak to you. You ought to thank God that he'll convict you. You ought to thank God that he cares enough about you for you to feel miserable and say, well, I'll just go down to this other church or I'll go, I, I, I'll go with mom and daddy down to church or I'll go with, with brother and sister to church or I'll go with my friends now and I won't have to get, go out of here feeling so bad about myself. You don't have to feel that bad if you repent. You take your sin with you. But thank God he's a God of a second chance. I'd have been a goner a long time ago had he not been God of a second chance. And in my life, probably third, fourth, fifth, and sixth chance. I don't know how long suffering God has been to me. And by the way, to you. So not everyone gets a second chance. We'll call that the double opportunity. But secondly... There was a deathbed vow. It was a huge privilege for him to get to do for God what he was about to do for God. Hadn't you rather die doing God's will as die in the belly of a fish? So it was deathbed vow, but it was a huge privilege. Number three, he did it with despite for the Ninevites. He still didn't love them. He still hated them. He still wanted all of them to go to hell. He still wanted God to judge the whole, whole city. You say, why? Because they were the most cruel, brutal, wicked, vicious kind of people in the world. And they would just come across little lands and little communities and towns and cities and nations. And they would swarm like hordes on them and conquer them all. Bury them up to their neck in sand. Put ants around eating at their face. I mean, they take them and, and pull their skin off of their bodies. Well, there was a lie. They were, they were cruel. They knew what they were doing was wrong. They just didn't ever, nobody had ever told them, you better get right with God. This place is about to go down. Your vicious ways is going to stop. So he never did say that he had, that he would love the Ninevites. He just said he would preach to them. So he despised, he had despite for the Ninevites. Now he's ready to die when that is done. When he's preached his message, he's ready to die. In his mind, he's finished his task. You know, here's what I learned about whales. And, of course, you know I'm a great oceanologist. I study that stuff all the time. I learned that when an old whale gets about ready to die... But that old whale knows he's about ready to die. And so he, what he'll do is he will go toward the beach and he will beach himself. And then he'll vomit everything that was in him. I mean, it could be thousands of pounds of stuff that he'll, you know, car tires and, and pick up trucks or whatever could come out. And it may be that that old fish beached, throwed up Jonah and died because that was his purpose for God. But I want you to notice the last thing, his sovereign conversation. God said to him in a very kind, loving way. That was God's preacher. 
He'd done everything wrong, done everything the wrong way, but God says, I think he's worth a conversation. You see, he didn't have a Bible like we got. He just had a portion of the Old Testament. So he couldn't look in the Psalms for encouragement. He couldn't, he couldn't go to Ephesians for comfort and help and, and Romans for strength. And he, he couldn't go to all of those things. And so now he's ready to die. And God says, listen, Jonah, listen to me. We went through the worm thing. We went through the gourd thing. Now we're going to go through something that's really serious. What has those 120,000 children done to you? What have they done? They don't even know right from wrong. They haven't even come to the age of accountability. They've never, ever had an opportunity to change their life. What has those 120,000 little children done to you? I wonder if in heaven God's not saying to America, what has all those little babies in the womb done to you? God help us. He said, Jonah, there's 120,000 that don't know the right hand from the left. Little fellas, little girls. They never hurt you. And you're sitting up here on this gourd vine. Yeah, I, I, I let my worm eat it down. I was over unresponsible, God said, if you won't know who did it. And then he said, why do you hate them so bad? Because he said all their food and their trade and their survival. Notice what's that? I want you to hear me. Get this. The Bible says that when they got, had revival... There was six score, this is in the very last verse of chapter 4, verse 11. There are six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left. That's little children, maybe babies. But then what's said? Also much cattle. And why would God leave cattle? Because revival brings survival. He left what they needed to survive. He left what they needed to eat. He said, what have those little children done to you? And what have those cows done to you? Did they just walk in and say, eat more chicken? <laughs> I doubt it. God was, the message was God said, turn or repent. But verse 5 says they believed God and those are two inseparable things. You cannot repent without believing God. You cannot believe God without repenting. Two sides of the same coin. You can't even believe on God till you're willing to turn. And when you turn, then you can trust. And see, we, we quit the repentance part and just talk about all you got to do, all you got to do is just, just believe on Jesus. Everybody believes in Jesus. But we have to believe on Jesus and we also have to make sure Jesus is in us and we're in him. And so the message was heard by them. 
And the whole town got right with God. They humbled themselves. Jonah, you never did humble yourself. Jonah, you, you, you never prayed till you got in such a mess. Jonah, Jonah, what if you, you don't care if the little children get hurt? You don't care if I burn up their cattle? Jonah, what? They ain't done anything to you. Are you going to keep hating these people when I have come down into their life and changed them from wicked, evil idolaters? And the greatest revival I've ever had on planet Earth was right here today, and you're up here pouting. So God wanted the children protected, and God wanted the cattle protected so there could be survival. You can't survive without children. Churches can't survive without children. I love our little kids. I love all of them. I like it when they hug my leg, and I, I like it when they don't rub their nose and put it on my britches. I really, I don't like that. But I love our children. They ain't done anything to me. They ain't done anything to me, except most of them been good to me. I, I, I should have brought, I meant to bring it and left it in my office. A framed picture that was given to me the other day. Six reasons why Brother Glenn is the best preacher. Now, if you want to get right with God, you'll do those six things. <laughs> but I'm going to use this illustration because it's true. I guess eight, eight or nine years ago, there was a senior adult man in our church. I guess maybe they were here for 10 years or I don't know how long. They went to, with our trips and back then, most some. Many of those people have gone on to Jesus. Some of them are still here and, and um, are maybe not out, able to get out of home in nursing homes. But, you know, I loved him. I, I thought we were really, really close. But I got a call from one of our Sunday school teachers to whom this man was the assistant of. And he said, uh, he says that he's bringing these tapes in of this uh, guy on television, Feldick guy, and he's going to bring them in, who, by the way, believes in more than one gospel. And I could go on with that, but we won't do that. But he wanted to bring those tapes in. That's what our Sunday school lesson about. I said, no, it's not. Well, the next Sunday he comes in, and he's going to take them in there, and he just happened. I, just, I was just standing up there to see. So this time he's going to force his way. I said, no, you're not. You're not showing those tapes in this church. Our Sunday school is about a teacher preparing themselves and giving you a word. And that's what you should have done for this class this week since you were the assistant teacher. He got mad at me. He called me a few things. No, no cussing, just real angry words. I never raised my voice to him. They left our church that day. I loved that man. I still do. Just a few years ago, I heard that he had a terminal disease. And I called him. I said, brother, I heard you've had this disease. And I'm so sorry. And I just want you to know that I'm going to be praying for you. And our church is going to be praying for you. And if you need me for anything during this, you just let, you call me. He said, well, I appreciate it, but I will never forgive you. And then not so long ago, I've kept it 
because I want to remind me of this. I saw his obituary. It didn't say member of Hillcrest Baptist Church. It didn't say which preacher was going to preach his fear of nothing. Just a little speck. I'll never forgive you. Never's a long time. And I've wondered how when he walked up to God, how it worked out. Surely he lived in misery for quite a few years for hating someone who just loved him but was not going to tolerate something that would hurt the church. So Jonah, he had a bunch of people just like him, probably scattered all over where he left the Holy Land where the church had just started there with Cornelius and all those people that had churches popped along Lydda uh, and, and the Valley of Saron and, and on down to Caesarea and, and there was churches. That's where, where the Cornelius got saved, you remember? And so he left that crowd. But I bet among them is a bunch of Jonas. Among us there is. We're here, we're here. We got some Jonas here today. You're not in the fish, but you're in the pickle. I can use it that way. You're not in the fish, but you're in the pickle. You don't know why you're so miserable in your heart. It's because you somewhere have made a statement to God like it was made to me. I'll never do this or I'll never do that or I'll never do this or I'll never do God, I will not do that. Or God, I, I cannot do that. Or God, I, I'm not going to obey here. I'm going to get this away. And, I'm, and God, I, I think this is your will when you know it's not. And so there's some Jonas. Is any is Jonas? You see, folks, we, if we expect to survive, in these coming days to which the Bible said in the, book, in the revelation that we know what kind of mess it's going to be like in the church. I preached a couple of weeks ago on it. And if we're going to survive in these last days, we've got to have some work done on the Jonas before we're able to reach anybody in Nineveh. So I don't care if you're just a little bitty Jonah or a big Jonah. I don't care if you're just a little way of God or a long way from God. We need to get some folks right with God. Because if you don't repent today, listen, God could send judgment tomorrow. Or God could watch us wither up and die. Oh, God, we need revival. Revival. 